up everybody this is jeremy england for the all things music podcast and i am joined across the country with my good friend miss daphne check how are you today daphne i'm jolly <laughs> that's-, <laughs> that's like the most sarcastic jolly i've ever heard in my life <laughs> a little aggressively, didn't I? You did, yeah. I did. Like, like a Santa mall or a mall Santa who just had some kid pee on him. You know, ho, 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 I'm yep. jolly. Yep, that's that's where we are. I actually am jolly, but I realized after I said it, I was like, man, that sounds rough. So, hey, I really am in a good mood, everybody. It's good to see you oh, all again. My <laughs> word. But we're so off we, to quite a start today, folks. Just off to the races. You know it. S- we are a podcast uh, that talks about all things music. Uh, we are music teachers, and we just we love music, you know. So why not just talk about everything that we can about it? And typically, we don't do very um, current musical events. Usually, we look at stuff in the past, or we profile cities or whatever. But we thought this episode we were going to take some time to talk about Stephen Sondheim, who is this musical genius who just recently passed at the age of 91, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so a huge loss to the musical world. And um, this happens a lot to me. Maybe I'm, I say this a lot, but I'm probably a bad music teacher. But I know Stephen Sondheim, but I didn't really know how influential, like really the depth of his influence until doing this show. So we just want to take some time to to show off who this man was in our own little format and uh, hopefully introduce some of you to the genius that is Stephen Sondheim. You know, I don't think you're alone in that, Jeremy, and I certainly don't think that you're a bad music teacher for that. Sometimes as music teachers, we get caught up in just the rigor and the standards that we have to do. And boy, we'd love more time to talk about other figures. Um, but this, as you mentioned, is a really huge loss to the musical community. Um, and one of the things that I thought about as we were preparing for this is he's one of those people that even if you think you don't know him, you a hundred percent know him. Um, you've heard his work somewhere. You, if you are in touch with even pop culture, um, you're going to know his work. So I I just want to assure you that even if you think you're not familiar with him, you're probably wrong. (laughs) Yeah, you probably are. And not only like his work, which you will, because West Side Story, which we'll talk about, it just got re-released, right? Yeah. Um, Uh, Actually, I think at the time of this recording, it is going to be released in a couple days. Okay, there you go. I think it's this week. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't know what to expect from it, but... I'm sure it'll be great because I love that musical. According to my book club, uh, it's got good reviews so far, which is nice. a right. weird tangent. I'll, I'll but listen it to your is. book club. That sounds good. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, we my book club met the other night. And we were talking about like movies and things we're looking forward to, and this one definitely came up. And everybody said that the reviews that they have seen so far have been really strong for West Side Story. Good. Well, that makes me happy. Yes, definitely. The, the other, yeah, and two, if you don't know him directly, which – West Side Story you do, but his influence into modern musicals today, uh, there are some direct lines that we'll, we'll get into some of his mentoring, but like some direct lines to very, very popular stuff around today that if you have not heard of something like uh, Hamilton, then you really are 
living under a rock, I think. <laughs> I, I can uh, hardly imagine. Listen, if you all are listening to this and you haven't heard Hamilton, we have uh, to have a different conversation with you, audience. <laughs> um, it's just straight up. <laughs> I feel bad for our audience sometimes. I feel like sometimes, like probably once an episode, they get they get scolded on. <laughs> but uh, Okay. We're, well, we are teachers, <laughs> and I, we'll, we'll not call it scolding. We'll call it strongly recommending. Well, and to be I fair, hope it's, it's not, not scolding. Only, it's only scolding if you haven't, you know, heard the musical or whatever we're talking about. So. <laughs> um, it is said with non-scolding happiness. I don't know what how what how to approach that exactly now that I'm talking it out loud. I think I Wh- think it's called constructive criticism. Oh yeah, words those. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's go with that. <laughs> it's oh, t- I'm man. tired. Okay, let's let us refocus and talk about Stephen Sondheim. Please do. Let's t- he's old. I mean, he was old. Uh, which this always shocks me. He was 91, like I said, when he was uh, when he passed away just um, just recently. Uh, but when I see people who are that old, and I see their birth years like 1930. It just amazes me how much life. They have seen in the past century, basically. I mean, 30s is a wild time to be born um, and how much they've seen. I mean, he would have been what? Like, he would have been a very young kid at the start of World War II. He was yeah, born he before World War II. Yeah. Which no. is <clears throat> crazy. He's he was born on March twenty second, nineteen thirty, in New York City. Um, as as I kind of alluded to there a minute ago. Um one of the kind of interesting things about this is that his parents divorced when he was really young. And so once his parents split, he moved to Doylestown, Pennsylvania with his mother. Now, on a sad note, um, him and his mother really had a tumultuous relationship. Um, they, uh, according to to Sondheim, his mother was abusive. He resented her for it. And if you look at the wiki, it talks a little bit about the fact that um, he they never resolved any kind of they never had any resolution to their relationship at the time of her death. Um, this is one of those things he just kind of let go of. Um, as he got older, he just kind of moved along. And this, you know, this happens to all humans. You know, a lot of humans have, you know, not great stories like this. Um, he did play and study piano and organ. And then as he, you know, once he got over to Doylestown, he, bef- he befriends James Hammerstein, who was the son of Oscar Hammerstein. Um, he kind of adopts him and starts mentoring, which I found this so wholesome. Um, he starts getting this musical theater training before he should have really. <laughs> right. Um, he, and so, um, you know, having this, um, <clears throat> pardon me, having this experience and this person that he could look up to not only does him a well for his career, but just as a human being, because at this point he really needed some guidance from, an individual who could give him um, a healthy kind of environment and a healthy outlook. And uh, Hammerstein does that for him. Yeah. It's very nice that there's people that who, that will see potential in somebody and really like pour into them. And and I think it's interesting, this next part, especially uh, about going through Hammerstein made him go through a course that he designed for him. Um, and this is, it, I thought this was interesting because it's kind of like the old apprenticeship system. So, mm-hmm. like, this is like Mozart studied under um, Handel. You know what I mean? Like, you, he taught him music. Right. And this is 
Hammerstein is making Sondheim go through this this curriculum uh, to be a playwright, essentially. And um, so a, a series of plays based on these themes. A play he admired, so Beggar on a Horseback, which became All the Glitters. I love that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, a play that he liked but he thought was flawed. So that's cool. As a teacher, I'm already like, so that's, he has to write and he has to compare and contrast and he has to articulate. That's just like a good curriculum. I love this. Upper level blooms right there. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, A play based on an existing novel. uh, So he wrote Mary Poppins and a a totally original play called Climb High. And so, like I said, as a teacher, I am seeing some, some really intricate learning here. And I think this is one of the things that as I was thinking um, about, college, which he goes to Williams College in Massachusetts. Um, and this is before college, right? This is his own. Yeah, yeah. According yeah. to the Wikipedia, it seems like it was early on um, when he was, or at least very much younger in his life. And my, I speculate here that not only did he write these, but he would have gotten feedback on these. Oh, gosh, yeah. I'm sure he, yeah, under that, uh, Hammerstein. Mm-hmm. I just think it's. In the musical world, I, I, maybe we should do a whole episode about like music apprenticeships and what those look like. And Ooh, good idea. I'm thinking out loud because like the way I came up into music, and I think a lot of kids do, is you go to public school or private school and you like go into music class and you learn music and you get in the band or choir or whatever. And then you go to college and you study there and then you get your degree. And there are other people who... Um, we'll have private teachers. Like I, there's students that we teach right now that have private teachers, you know, that mm-hmm. are like pouring into them and giving them this different music education. And then there are people that like are apprenticing almost like this, where like you are taking somebody under your wing and teaching them how to to be better and learn a specific craft, especially. This happens in like blues and jazz, I think, a lot more than maybe the classical arts. But I could be just totally talking on my butt right now. But that's what I think <laughs> is like, Jazz and blues, there's more informal, formal training than there is like a structured, this is what's going to be by a mentor. Well, I think we see that just, um, you know, now that it's 2021, we definitely see that how we teach, um, even how we teach music in the Western European tradition is different from other traditions around the world. So I think there's still, you're right, it's interesting to see that sometimes, Types of music are maybe taught differently uh, than than other types, just depending on what the situation is or the type of music. I think this is just so endearing because it's not only an apprenticeship in this case. He's he's getting an emotional uh, upbringing too. You know, given what we know about his early life, he's really got somebody pouring some love into him. And I have to question, is that part of why he becomes successful? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think this is one of – talk to any music kid who loved band in high school or loved choir. Me! And ask him – exactly. Ask him why. <laughs> some of it's going to be music, but some of it is going to be the relationships that they formed in those groups because music has always, always, always been an outlet for people who have suffered misfortune or lack love uh, – in their closest relationships. Um, it, it's just like a tale as old as time, you know? Oh, I'm, I'm an example hurt. of that. I'm yeah, a total example of, of that. Like if you asked me about my 
my experience, I will not only tell you the musical stuff I did, but I will tell you who my teachers were and I will tell you the relationship. Actually, I was just talking about that with you, with one of them before class. We were having a discussion right. about something else. And I literally, that, you know, my, my high school, one of my high school band directors got brought up in a conversation I was having and I'm, I'm, you know, middle-aged teacher now and I'm still talking about that. And <laughs> right. so it, it really does make a difference. And I think in Sondheim's case, you know, we see what, what comes out of all this love and mentorship that, that he gets at this early age. Yeah. And it's interesting, this philosophy of music, I think music is one of the, the disciplines that can um, be portrayed. And sometimes it is uh, where there's very high standards that basically you'll get beaten into being good. (laughs) This is true. This is very true. You have to have a thick skin in music. Um, which I don't think has to be the way. Um, so yeah. I think you can you can lead with love and all that. But did, yes. I didn't see much about his time in college. Did you? I mean, like, there... not a ton. I mean, he does. There's some stuff in the Wikipedia um, that talks about it. But I think just given the scope of his career, so much of his um, so much of his life is you know talked about through his work. Um, once he gets started, I know that um, there was a theater program there he was attracted to, and he did kind of. Um, I'm quoting him here. He says, when he in reference to his college education, I just wanted to study composition, theory, and harmony without the attendant musicology that comes in graduate school. So, I mean, I think he still had some questions <laughs> about some of that stuff. But um, I, as far as I can read here, he he definitely. Um, you know, get some good out of his college career. He's not disdaining it. Well, I could say good job, Williams College in Massachusetts, for having this person <laughs> as, an, uh, as an alum. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty this is a pretty big one to tout. Yeah, you did not scare him away from music. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's so okay. This guy is fascinating to me too because he has the chops for everything. Music, it seems like, because he goes out to Hollywood and he writes. Uh, he writes for the show Topper, which I understood that he wrote uh, part of the playwright, like the, not the playwright, but the uh, the screen. You know, not, not writing music. Uh, I could be mistaken, but he goes out and works in Hollywood for a while, and he comes back to New York City, his birth town, uh, and he writes incidental music for the play The Girls of Summer. And so, just incidental music as an aside is an interesting craft because it is music that. Uh, accompanies a mood or a transition. It's not really meant to be music that is like the focus of what is uh, being, it's not supposed to be like a musical. It's just supposed to be like a a flavoring, if you will, mm-hmm. to to enhance uh, what is happening. And this is used, this is used all the time. And like moving music a lot of times is incidental, where like there's like a, a theme going mm-hmm. on behind or um, it's just, it's a very unique craft and people yeah. think it's i think it's people think it's easy to write right and it's not it's not at all you really have to have a sense of mood and your surroundings and how things can fit you know it's it's the whole idea is supposed to be a flavoring and just like food which we like to relate to here on all things music <laughs> right. you can over flavor a dish you can under flavor a dish this is the exact same way you can over program or under program music for this. So it's, it's a delicate art. It, yeah. Cause you have to really understand, you have to so perfectly understand that 
it's not about you at all. But at the same time, so much depends on what you're putting on that audio track. It's kind of like, <laughs> this is a weird analogy, but I'm going to stick with it because it's in my head now. Eyebrows. Okay. What? Wait, what? Now, think about this. Okay. Think about it. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> Do you ever notice eyebrows that often? Unless there's like a unibrow, right? Nobody really pays attention to eyebrows. But eyebrows tell so much emotion of the face that a person without eyebrows is confusing <laughs> to like understand what they're thinking all the time because they, they're so there's so much a part of the emotion, but they're not the main focus of your face, or they shouldn't be. You know, if they are, you probably should go see somebody. Um, but they're so important. So incidental music is like the eyebrows of the music world. I'm sticking with I, it. That's good. I, I yes, I weirdly agree with that. I, uh, but I could. I I was not ready for that at all. Um, <laughs> I was not ready for it either. It just you, came forth. My eyebrows were raised, so it, well, exactly. uh, you know you can't see me. I, no, that's. I think that's. <laughs> gosh darn, that's good. I can't even compete. I'm just gonna hush for a minute. And let you continue because that was really good. <laughs> oh, I got nothing. Okay. I got nothing. Well, let's see if I can keep it going though. Um, <laughs> Leonard Burns. Or, sorry, Sondheim does this. You know, he writes this. Uh, for Topper, and then comes to New York City, writes incidental, incidental music, and then lands this like magical role working with Leonard Bernstein in writing the lyrics for West Side Story, which uh, is only like one of the the most popular musicals in the world, or <laughs> well, at least in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is probably one of my favorite books to listen to and to to hear. I just love the story, and I love the music to it. Uh, he writes the lyrics. We did a whole episode on Leonard Bernstein, the the musical, the composer for this. Uh, it's on our old podcast. I linked it in the show notes if you want to listen to uh, who Leonard Bernstein was, a flawed man in a lot of ways, uh, but a musical genius. So somehow Sondheim gets hooked up with him, and they make this, this banger of a musical. Um, and then a year later, in 1957, he writes the lyrics for Gypsy by Jules Stein, which th- this is – for real, a quote, I guess, by some critics. I mean, not I guess. It is regarded by some critics as the best American musical ever written. Um, so back to back, he just like, you know, is like, hey, I'm Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> you know, like, here's he my work. He his name to kind of throw it around. <laughs> I mean, it works, clearly. He, he right. hits it out of the park both times. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I'm not that familiar with Gypsy. I, I'm familiar uh, with West yeah. Side Story, but not as not nearly as much as Gypsy. I know it exists. I, I'm the same way, yeah. Now I want to go <laughs> look it up. Uh, now I want to know. Gee, Mantis. Yeah. And that's that's pretty high praise. I mean, especially yeah. in 57, you know, we're already getting a lot of these musicals, and they're saying that that's one of the best American musicals. Best. I wonder if it's still – and that still holds up today? Like that they're that's saying that? Yeah, oh, my goodness. All right, I so – I think – you know, I think it's probably one of those ones, too, that – it's going to be it, – I'll compare it for a second if I can without having, you know, know too much about it. But it's kind of like Star Wars where everybody – Star Wars like is a one of the most influential pieces of cinema, cinematography in the – you know, in mm-hmm. all of the history of cinema. I can't stand it. But I – I think I came to it too late. So I don't really – I don't have the magic with it. But I can appreciate that it is one of like the most important – styles of film out there you know did a whole bunch of stuff so it does hurt me a little bit that you just said you couldn't stand star wars 
I, my I geekdom got hurt. Yeah, I like, did feel college try, and I fell asleep. So uh, you know uh, what? I think we talked about this once yeah. upon a time because I was I maybe I was trying to get you to watch The Mandalorian. Maybe I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> Yeah, but that's really good too. Okay, we'll take that off the podcast. It's okay. You're, how dare you have an opinion about something I like? How dare yeah. you? Um, no, I'm kidding you. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, we'll we'll just move past that. So yeah, you so know, <laughs> his next show. Let me get to his next show. So two shows in a row: West Side Story, Gypsy, and then five years later, 1962, his next work, which he wrote the lyrics and the music for called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum ran for 960 plus shows and won the Tony for the best musical. So he's he's three for three. He's a an amazing musical genius. He probably could just stop there, right? Uh, then 1964, two years later, he had a flop. I mean, literally, it's not, it's not like this, nobody even redoes it anymore. <laughs> fine, but I have faults with this. Okay, let me, let me talk through this, if I may. Okay, in 64, uh, he has a flop called Anyone Can Whistle. It closes after nine performances. Okay, here's my take on this. Here's my hot, fresh take. I don't think anything's a flop after nine performances, and my rationale for that is, is that if it made it to a stage, you've already done more than half the work to consider it not be a flop. So not only does he get it to a stage, but he gets a couple performances of it off. So I question mark the flop. I mean, is it really, <laughs> I guess my question is, is it really that bad? Because again, let's, re- let's refer to who wrote this. Is it really that bad? I don't it's know. Pr- it's probably I mean, if I made if I got it to have nine shows on a stage by professional actors, I've made it. That's if what Steven I think. Sondheim gets a performance that has nine performances, he he flopped. So maybe so I, so what you're saying is maybe because of who he was yeah, that this would have yeah, been I put, a, a gotcha. A flop compared to his other I I think I'm following you. Yeah, I mean, especially for the first three to come out and then to have one that is just um, didn't make it and got relatively poorly reviewed by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in his world, I'm sure that was a flop. Uh, you know, yeah. though, it's there's some not that I am glad that he had a flop, but it is good to see a little bit of human here because sometimes it's these it's hard to get our minds wrapped around people who are super successful sometimes because they don't feel um, attainable or they almost feel not human. Even though he had this, you know, quote unquote flop. I think this is a bit endearing because I also think humility is a good thing. And maybe he wouldn't have been the person he was over the rest of his life. Had he not experienced a little humility. So again, and, and, I'm just throwing that out there, but I, I agree. But and I do think that if you're going to flop, the fourth thing that you do is probably a good time to do it because you have you don't flop right at the gate, which is okay. That's what a lot of people do, and they just you know they have only they can only go up after the first one. If you flop after number one, it could be a fluke, you know, one hit wonder. Right. After two, you try something. Okay, maybe they're changing up their sound. If you get three back to back, like beautiful works of art. Like you got the, you've demonstrated that you've got the chops. You right. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you, 
Like you're, you're going to get some calls back, even if you have a show that totally bombs. <laughs> and I'm like, cause he's not going to be hurting for work because his fourth musical, like, didn't do well. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be super successful and have a lasting impact on the world of art, um, that's the way to do it. So just follow Stephen Sondheim's method. Yeah, plan your failures, folks. <laughs> plan, plan your failures. Plan your failures. <laughs> uh, plan to fail, if not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then so, only be so yeah. successful that you can focus on your own projects. Yeah, which is what he does. Yeah. <laughs> he, after 65, he's like, nope, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, which is I, – I thought that was – I was like trying to figure out why after after this, you know, quote-unquote flop that he says, I'm only going to focus on projects where I write – because – at the surface, it seems like, well, he worked with somebody in 64. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, somebody else <laughs> was the reason. But it was his own It was his own show. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just, he just decided, like, I'm going to do my own thing. And that served him very well, obviously, because we're talking about him um, 50 years after this was written. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Unbelievable. Yeah. And this is just the beginning of his career. He He does a lot of things over the course of his career. One being mentoring, and this is the one I think even right now as we record this, this one's kind of being talked about a little bit um, because of John Larson. He's the writer of Rent. um, And the reason that it's kind of timely is because as of when we record this, a movie about Jonathan Larson's life um, has come out called Tick, Tick, Boom, which I've not had a chance to watch yet. Um, I'm hoping to over our winter break. Um, but anyway, there's a relationship here and, and with, between, um, Larson and Sondheim, um, who had really great words to say about him. Um, and there's like a blending, uh, you wrote this part, so I'm, I'm freestyling a little bit, but there's a blending of contemporary and pop music. And maybe you can talk a little bit about what you meant by that. Oh yeah. So Jonathan Larson is recognizes putting contemporary music on the stage or pop music on the stage. And what Sondheim says about it, he says is uh, pop music has some interesting lyrics, but they don't have great lyrics for musicals. They're, they're very different, right? When you're doing a musical, you're telling a story uh, in a very different way than when you're doing it for pop music, which sometimes the lyrics don't make much sense. <laughs> but mm-hmm. And I will say this about Sondheim. As I was reading about this, I, I love his appreciation for all kinds of music. And that's one thing I think this quote where he's talking about, Jonathan Larson, shows me is like, you know, because sometimes people in the arts can be a little bit poo-poo on pop music because they're too good for it or whatever. Yes. Um, but he says, you know, it has some interesting lyrics, pop music, but uh, Jonathan had an instinct where he could blend both of those mediums together like very well. And um, so that's pretty high praise from a a master lyricist, <laughs> you know, to say like this guy has a knack for for recognizing the good in both styles and putting them together. And what a wonderful quality. I, I don't think that can be overstated. There are so many uh, times where music – and I think a lot of people would recognize this, that, that sometimes music can feel elitist mm-hmm. and depending on what it is or what you do. And, you know, I, weirdly enough, I was saying this not to, to a friend not too long ago where, you know, yeah, you and I teach all the great works, uh, you know, the, in our class and stuff. But sometimes we just want the pop music. Sometimes we need right. the easier digestible, you know, 
thing, you know. It's great to have the steak and potatoes. I'm going back to food. It's great to have these big steak and potato meals, but sometimes you just want a taco from Taco Bell. No. And and that's okay too. And I'm not I'm not saying that pop music is bad. I I guess maybe that I don't want that to come off either that way, but sometimes you just want something a little simpler. And somebody of Sondheim's status uh just by if I was going to stereotype that may not always view that world of, you know, blending and understanding pop within what they do. And he does and I think that's one of the very endearing qualities about him. Yeah, he's kind of like he definitely is uh, a gatekeeper. Not that he himself gatekeeps music, but he's kind of like a mob boss. <laughs> and if you think like <laughs> he's so influential that his words mean so much. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by Jonathan Larson. When I first got exposed to Rent, which was actually through the DVD when I was a young younger kid, and I, I watched about his story. Um, what a fantastic, fantastically gifted writer and composer. Um, yeah, and so to have that endorsement. Another person, uh, we had mentioned this guy earlier, uh, well, his work of Hamilton is uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, which he kind of like was everywhere for a hot minute. He still is very popular and seen, but he was like on Saturday Night Live and like doing all these huge tours and stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I think because he's, rec- because of the pandemic and because he's, I think he directed Tick, Tick, Boom. He's been... Um, He's oh, in the director's okay. chair. Yeah. It's his debut film direction. So I think between those two things, we haven't seen him in front of the camera a lot right now. Okay. I that's cool. I, yeah. So Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, they reached out. Actually, I think this is fascinating, and I didn't put it in the notes here, but uh, Sondheim reached out to Lin-Manuel Miranda when he was working on translating West Side Story in Spanish. Like, so I don't know what Sondheim was offering. I don't know if he speaks Spanish. Who knows? But – uh, he reached out to Miranda to work together to uh, translate this story, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, hey, man, you know, hey, I wrote the lyrics. <laughs> you want to work together? <laughs> that, can you imagine getting that call? Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my I cannot. Gosh. Uh, he also gave notes on Hamilton, Holy which cow. I thought was uh, interesting. He Sondheim says something like, uh, I don't know if people will um, – might, they might get bored for a whole night of rap, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But he goes, I, I, he really appreciated his his lyrics, you know, like his ability to rhyme and like the cadence that he had that that music at and stuff. So, um, yeah, and I think I, from what I can tell, Sondheim always seemed to be giving advice from a very positive place, never to tear people down, but to make them better. Um, and I think that's super cool. So, like, any of the notes that he's saying, like, oh, I don't think people like a whole night of rap, you know? It's, like, it's not like, again, rap's bad or something. It's just that here's what you need to think about. Uh, and obviously, Lin-Manuel Miranda, whatever advice he took or didn't, was very successful in his uh, performance of Hamilton, so. I wonder if that advice contributed to some of the more lyrical pieces in Hamilton, like Burn. Maybe, yeah. Because Burn is absolutely not a rap. Yeah, That's a right. ballad. So I wonder. Now, that's integral to the story, and I don't want to give too much away in case somebody hasn't seen it. But that that <laughs> song needed to happen so you understood a character. 
but it's a song. It's not a rap at all. It's, it's, it's a ballad. So I wonder if, if that, and where, and I'm thinking about it too, in Hamilton, like where it is, it would have broken up some of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering about that. That's very interesting. <laughs> very interesting note. Yeah. Okay. Here's, yeah. Here's the exact quote. He was, uh, quote, worried that an evening of rap might get mon- monotonous. However, Sondheim believed Miranda's attention to and respect for good rhyming made it work. So he thought, uh, basically I read that as if anybody else had done it, it might not have been as good. You know, yeah. So, game well, respecting game. Basically. I love it. I love it. I, and I, <laughs> I'm always here for people lifting up others in the craft because that's how we get better, cooler things. Yeah, so, absolutely. Which is absolutely. why Sondheim, God rest his soul. Anyway, moving on. Yep. So the last big part of his career, I mean, uh, is he was the 16th president of Dramatists Guild of America from 73 to 81, which is basically a professional organization of theater playwrights, composers, and lyricists. So he was, again, the godfather <laughs> of <laughs> playwrights, composers, and lyricists during this uh, this time. But um, And we have a whole list of works. You, you want to read through them real fast? or no? Okay. Let's see if I can even pronounce well, These okay, major works is what it says, the list okay. of his major works. All right, here we go. Saturday Night, West Side Story, Gypsy, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Anyone Can Whistle, Do I Hear a Waltz, Evening Primrose, Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, The Frogs, Pacific Overtures, Sweeney Todd, Merrily We Roll Along, Sunday in the Park with with George, Into the Woods, Assassins, Passion, and Roadshow. So just Those few, were just just a few, a, a few important works. <laughs> no, no big whoop, you know. Um, and I, I mean, those are just as important stuff, you know. Yeah, I didn't know catalog. that Sweeney Todd was so old. That's in 1979. I didn't know that. So, I mean, I do now, but yeah. when I was doing this, I didn't know it was. And I felt like Into the Woods, which is as old as I am, literally. Um, I didn't know that Into the Woods. Well. It felt like when I went to college, it was making its rounds again. Was there a movie made about it or a, a movie uh, adaptation of Into the Woods? Yeah. Uh, Disney did it. Um, yeah, I oh think my before gosh, that. Not, I, yeah, I'm Googling it now because now Google it's it. going to make me crazy. It was like the first show that when I went to school, to college, so like in 2006 time, 2007, they were doing Into the Woods. And I felt like a whole bunch of people were doing it during that time. So I don't know if there was like a... A reboot of it. And I think it actually the movie yes. I think came out later. It is so I'm looking at a Wikipedia article that says um Into the Woods is a twenty fourteen American yeah. musical fan film. And it had some big I mean the casting was legit. Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, James Corden, Anna Kendrick, Chris Prine, Tracy Ullman, uh Christine Baranski, and Johnny Depp. Um of course Johnny Depp was in this. Why would yeah. he not be? Um yeah, and so I mean, Sweeney the, Todd too. That's very interesting, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, but then Johnny Depp. I mean, Johnny Depp. God bless you wherever you are. He he's he fits a certain role, and <laughs> and Into the Woods seems like a very a very proper place for him. He is a person. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a unique wow. dude. Yeah. Wow. I like to every time there's a cologne commercial of him right now, and when he comes oh, on, yeah. I look at my family and say, "Look, it's Dollar Store Norman Reedus," and <laughs> and my family gets so mad. 
but this yeah, is not, this is all said. But love. This is all the yeah. love. This is all love. I could incorporate perfume commercials into the podcast somehow because they, they throw me off. Uh, <laughs> I don't appreciate the genius. I guess that maybe they're displaying. Unlike Stephen uh, yeah. Sondheim, who is yes. awarded for many of his oh genius ideas. So I'm going to read <laughs> these awards real quick. Uh, I could do the fun part. He won eight Tony Awards, which is like the musicals version of the Grammys or the Oscars for you uh, non-musical people. Eight Tonys, one Academy Award, eight Grammy Awards, one Pulitzer Prize, the Lawrence Oliver Award, President, Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2015, the Penn Allen Foundation Literary Service Award in 2017. He was the first composer lyricist to win this. And there's a theater in the West End of London that is named after him. That so. makes me want to go to London. I mean, I've always wanted to go to London, but this gives me more ammunition for if I ever finally get there, I want to go see this theater or go see a show in that theater. Because to have a theater named after you is already a big deal, but in the West End of London, right. that's pretty massive. But that all being, even with that in mind, I mean, eight Tony Awards. And right. I was trying to find out if he was an EGOT winner. Like, if oh, he's an yeah. E, he's got the EGOT, but I couldn't find the last one, the... The Emmy. The Emmy. Yeah. That's daytime TV, right? Yes. I don't think he had that, but I, uh, there, I was a little confused because I saw something that said he was, then I saw something that said he wasn't. And I was a little confused. So if anybody can clarify, I'm all in, but I don't think, I don't think he was because I couldn't find any information on the Emmy, but Mm -hmm. my goodness, eight Tony awards, my gosh. And somehow in the midst of all this, he stayed, um, generous and kind to people. Yeah. And, and let me say this, and I don't, I don't think there's any reason to believe it any differently, uh, but sometimes when somebody important dies, <laughs> uh, all the really, really, really good things come out very quickly. Um, so there's an account, and again, I'm not saying that Sondheim was a bad dude at all, uh, but I think it is cool that people are recognizing how genuine he appeared to be. There's a whole Instagram account, which I put in the show notes, called Sondheim Letters, which is um, a collection of letters that he typed and signed and sent to a bunch of different people. Um, so he has like this nice letterhead called Stephen. It says Stephen Sondheim at the top, and then it has the date, and he, it looks like he t- typewrites it, and then he signs it. And he sends letters to like everybody. Like uh, He responds to fans like, I'm going to read some of these. Uh, Dear Mr. Keaton, what a lovely letter. Thank you. And it couldn't have come at a better time. Gratefully, Stephen Sondheim. Um, to the cast and crew of Anyone Can Whistle, thanks for doing the show. It's rarely that an audience gets a chance to see it, play it simply, and have a good time. Stephen Sondheim. Um, let's see. Dear Roger, many thanks for everything, but I feel in my heart of hearts you should have this love steve you know like just Aww. he he writes to um uh high school productions he'll say hey good job high school you know what i mean like thanks for doing this we did a really great job keep it up uh just what a man i'm telling you kindness and grace go so long this is a life thing people like yeah. But how cool is it that, you know, this Sondheim became this ginormously famous person, wrote all these masterworks in musical theater, and yet still wrote letters saying thank you and was graceful. And man, kindness is important, y'all. That's all I'm going to say. And and I think, I think um, you know, we do see it. We do see that when people die that we focus on those things and that's just human nature maybe. But, um, 
you know, so often when we talk, uh, at least in this podcast, when we talk about artists or stuff, sometimes we always have to add a, we always feel compelled to tell the whole story. And so it feels like we have a dose of controversy, um, with a lot of people, but, um, you know, there's not really here. And I'm, I'm grateful for that presence that he brought to the world for that. Yeah. Reason. It is. Re- it is refreshing to not have to say, but, <laughs> you know, Amen. but he was a terrible person to the people he worked with or, yeah. um, it's just, like, here, here's another one, uh, dear Mr. Whoever, what a lovely note and what a lovely gesture. I know and like the photograph, but clearly it has a special meaning to you. So I'm returning it despite your generous offer. You know, I mean, like, come on, come, come on. on, come on, come on. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I I am not on Instagram, uh, but this makes me want to join Instagram so I can follow yeah, I mean, this. Just for this account, yeah. Just for this alone. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so good. Uh here's a good one. Here's one for you and I. Uh dear teacher, actually has a name, Joshua Sharp, but I'm gonna say it's re- he's writing it to me. Thanks thanks for the letter and compliments. I hope you're enjoying being a teacher as much as you anticipated. Yours truly, Stephen Sondheim. So. <laughs> I would have straight up passed out if I would have got a letter like that ever. Here's my advice to you and to everybody. Do not be scared or afraid to reach out to people that you admire their work and have questions or compliments because you never know who's going to respond to you. I think I've shared this story before, but the person who wrote the music for Frozen, uh, I heard him on a podcast one time and I reached out to him with a question about uh, some musical choices he made. Just and he responded, and it was so gracious and wonderful and just so cool to, like, answer my questions. So you never – maybe you'll have somebody who's a really terrible person and won't ever answer you back. Or you might get a letter from, you know, one of the most influential musical geniuses of uh, our generation. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, so. and I think it means something to them uh, too, you know, like – yeah. They're still human, even though we like to put them on a pedestal. It's not quite the same thing, but when you were talking about that story, which is completely awesome, I was thinking about the moment I met Philip Glass. Oh, yeah. I didn't know I was going to meet Philip Glass. My friend surprised me, and she took me up after this uh, preview that they did with the that the Cincinnati Symphony did, and she took me up, didn't tell me, and I got to, like, and I'm not really starstruck, but with him, I did get starstruck. I got tongue-tied, and I just, like, <laughs> spilled out, like, thank you for your work. I'm such an admirer, and I, I appreciate you as a teacher, and blah, blah, blah. And he was so gracious and lovely, and just that moment of him reciprocating, uh, thank you, you know, very much. Just that moment, that lives for me. That 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 moment exists in my soul right. deeply. So it, it, yeah. do that. Do, totally do that. Reach out to your people. Yeah, and if people reach out to you for whatever reason, it just it's a kind gesture back. And you might not ever remember, like, he probably doesn't remember you at all. And that's nope. that's okay, right? You know what I mean? Like, yep, 100%. But in that moment, you were seen. And that's yes. it's, that goes so long. Here's my favorite letter. The last one will go before we move on to the next section. Uh, Howard Ashman, he wrote Little Shop of oh. Horrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a letter he sends to him in June 21st, 1982. I can't imagine getting this letter, but he says, Dear Howard, before Little Shop of Horrors becomes the huge success that it deserves to be, let me just add my voice to the crowd of enthusiasts. Your work in all three departments had style, wit, and delight. The more I think about the show, the more I like it. Congratulations. Yours sincerely, Stephen Sondheim. Passed right out. <laughs> would have passed right out. Absolutely <laughs> I fainted. I, like, I wouldn't even care if I got famous. You know what I mean? Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote me a letter. I don't need your courtesy. I don't need your critiques at all. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, I got one more story for him. This is um, talking about mentoring and like I think the essence of who he is. Uh, so I'm going to read this quote directly from Wikipedia. So if you see it again, that's where it came from. But uh, in an interview with Sondheim for the Legacy Project, composer-lyricist Adam Gattel, son of Mary Rogers and grandson of Richard Rogers, recalled how as a 14-year-old boy, he showed Sondheim his work. He was crestfallen since he had come in uh, quote, sort of all puffed up thinking he would be rained with compliments and things, end quote, which was not the case since Sondheim had some very direct things to say. Later, Sondheim wrote and apologized to him for being, quote, not very encouraging when he was actually trying to be constructive. So not only did he try to help a young kid, but when he made the kid feel bad and found out about it, he wrote to him to apologize. I mean, come on. Come, Come on. on. Come, Come on. on. That's Come a, on. That, yeah. That's just, that's beautiful. This, okay, can we just talk about this next thing? Because I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah. This is making me laugh so hard. Okay, so Sondheim voted for Team America World Police for Best Picture for the Oscars and wrote a letter to Trey Parker encouraging him and his work. What? Yeah. What? He, uh, I guess he, he, he would have even written sooner than he actually did, but he had like find Trey Parker's address and uh he basically wrote to him and said hey i know you're getting a lot of criticism right now and it probably sucks this is jeremy translation by the way it probably sucks and it probably makes you feel bad and that's understandable but i want you to be encouraged that i thought it was great and i voted for it and he said he said i voted for it for best picture what a lot of good that did or whatever (laughs) you know but um yeah and like it just I don't know. That's cool because if you've ever seen or have not seen World Police, it is a totally bananas mm-hmm. show by the creators of South Park. Yes. It's marionette puppets, uh, inappropriate. Do not watch it around kids or or people who will be easily offended. <laughs> yeah, it's um, rough. It's really yeah. rough. But it's a, a satirical piece about, um, you know, American being the world police and – there's music in there. They make fun of Rent and uh, some other shows. I'd stuff, sing so. you some of it, uh, but A, copyright, and B, uh, it's not appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have a sister who's very obsessed with, like, the South Park, Trey Parker stuff, and I remember watching it with her. And it, it is good. I'm not trying to downgrade it. It's good. Um, it's been a minute since I've seen it. But it's definitely not what you'd think this Broadway composer lyricist would be (laughs) cheering for. So again, just showing his flexibility uh, in, in the industry, um, Mm -hmm. which, which is really cool. But as we mentioned, and as we'll leave you with, you know, Sondheim has unfortunately passed away. And just recently as at the time of his recording, it was recent. Um, He passed away on November 26th, 2021. It was sudden. And I use that kind of in air quotes because, you know, again, remember that he was 91 years old, Uh, but nobody expected anything that, that his death was approaching or anything. Um, His friend who announced it said he was not known to be in any type of bad health, but the cause on the cause of death on the certificate um, was cardiovascular disease. That was, I think just came out in the last several days. Um, So um, it sounds like his heart just couldn't do it anymore. So even, you know, it had, you know, and as again, he was 91 years old. Um, So yeah, we just recently lost him, but what a life and what a legacy. And, you know, you can, as we, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, even if you don't know that you know him, you know him Uh, just because he has had his finger on so much of the pulse of, you know, musical theater and some pop culture stuff and just was a really 
a genuine person who wrote extraordinary music. And I hope that he is remembered not just for his contributions to music, but contributions as being a human. Because both are important. Yeah, what a good spot to to stop it. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at underscore ATM podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremy P. England. You can contact us by email at contact at allthingsmusicpodcast.com or you can go to allthingsmusicpodcast.com, which will take you to our, our podcast homepage where you can um, hear other episodes and and leave us a voice note if you want. And, of course, please subscribe uh, to our podcast if you enjoy what we're putting out. And uh, give us a nice rating so more people can find out who we are and what we're talking about and can appreciate these musical geniuses like Stephen Sondheim and how we can uh, you know, share the good things that people do in music. So with that, we'll talk to you all in a couple weeks. Bye.